welcome to the Better Spearfishing Podcast, where we talk all things spearfishing. If you want to improve your spearfishing and hear some wild stories, you've come to the right place. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to the Better Spearfishing Podcast. Thank you all so much for coming and joining me. So the topic of today's podcast is going to be there's always another level to learn in spearfishing, of course. And the reason I got this idea to uh, to discuss this is because this is something that, well, I, I was going to use the word struggle, struggling, something I'm struggling with, but it's not actually struggling. It's something that I'm in the process of learning for new species. And let me explain what I mean. So the, the background context to this is at the moment, Western Australia is, has what they call a demersal ban, which means that the typical reef fish that one would normally target, so the large um, sort of dominant reef species, are now um, they're, they're on a closed season, so you cannot take them. So that includes things like dewfish and pink snapper, bullchin groper, uh, blakesy cod, harlequin fish, a lot of the sort of common, uh, very good eating reef fish um, that, that spear fishermen and, and fishermen alike would take. Now, okay, we, I won't go into um, the regulations on that, but l- let's, let's talk about, about what this means. So I can still go diving, but I can't take the main reef fish that I would normally take. Now, most of the year, um, what I used to target was pink snapper, just because I really enjoyed the challenge. They're incredibly difficult to get onto and mostly to find. Um, they, they cover vast distances um, and they're incredibly wary, intelligent fish. So that was my preference. And uh, most of the time I'd come back without anything or I'd, I'd shoot one little fish for dinner and, and uh, that's it. Um, but anyway, that's not an option now. So this is actually a blessing in disguise. And I'll explain why I say that. So before the this ban, we used to have two months a year when you could not target these uh, high-risk demersals. And now it's going to be something like six months a year. So previously, the two months a year, I guess I would, you know, I would do something else. I'd look for Mackie or, you know, some other fish. But I I didn't really put too much effort into it because I was just thinking, yes, soon the band's over and I can get back into chasing big pink snapper, which is what I love. But now that it's going to be six months a year, well, you know, I either need to drive outside of the zone where this band is, which means at least a four hour drive south. Um which is fine you know if the if the conditions are good i i, I will do that for the weekend um but for my local dives which are just close and convenient what it means is that i need to target different species and i've suddenly realized over the last 2 days of diving that i need to really lift my game on this um so i I'll, I'll explain why i'm saying that so the last 2 days I went out uh, yesterday and today. The conditions have been um, low wind in the morning, sort of offshore, and then turning to a southwesterly wind, um, you know, around mid-morning and just getting stronger and stronger. 
Um, and by, you know, midday, by one o'clock, it's, uh, it's probably a 20, 20 something knot wind. So there's, there's white caps as, as in waves breaking and, uh, all of that. So what I've done is I've gone, I've gone southwest of the boat ramp, um, early and dive around there because I know that as soon as the wind picks up, I'm now going to be going with the wind behind me and it's going to be an easy drive straight back in and all you know also if it gets bad faster than i expect and i or, or it really picks up and i need to outrun the weather well now i can I, you know and especially in a small boat um or actually in any boat really you, you sort of want to think about the weather but anyway that that's another um discussion for another um yeah another podcast so anyway, I went southwest of uh, of the boat ramp, and the what I noticed is, you know, with all the the wind and it, it was an outgoing tide in the morning, so low tide was about nine o'clock, and I noticed that for about a kilometer out to sea, it, you know, it wasn't that clean. I mean, look, it's all relative. If if it, if I was in South Africa, I would have said it's the best conditions I've seen for months, but I'm not. Um, so it's probably, you know, six, seven meters visibility, maybe eight uh, in close. And then, you know, obviously right in close, it would be less, but, you, you know, up to a few hundred meters offshore. And then once I got to about a kilometer, kilometer and a bit offshore, it suddenly started cleaning up. And I, I when I found some shallow reef, it was probably 12, 14 meters and I dived there, the visibility would have been 25 meters. It, it was brilliant. I was, I was loving it. And, uh, it, it, yesterday the swell was low. It was only probably 1.2, 1.3 meters of swell to start with. There was no wind. It was just lovely. And so I started diving and, you know, on a sound, it's easy to find the sort of ground that the main reef fisher would like. It's, it's big broken ground. It's very obvious on a sounder. Um, and so you find ground like that and there's bulch and gloper and you can't take them. So you swim around and you think, okay, well, what can I take? And there's a, you know, one or two other sort of average eating fish, sea sweep and, you know, common sort of fish. Um, but then you think, well, they're not really prime eating. So what other prime eating fish can I take? Well, there's King George whiting. There are flathead. Um, there are, uh, there's also mackerel. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to just focus on looking for mackerel. And so the first thing I thought was, well, I need to find bait. And and that is right. If you find bait, generally, that's the place to be and wait around for mackerel. But I looked around and I couldn't see very many birds. So certainly none, no bait balls and none flying around. So I thought, geez, okay, well, how do I find the bait? So then I spent a lot of time driving over um, fairly shallow pinnacles and looking on my sound of four bait. And w one of the things that I've realized here is the bait will often be around a shallow or a pinnacle that comes up sort of the shallowest point. And the reason it's there is because the if you think of the water moving, so the water's coming from deep water, 20 meters, and now when it's getting forced up over the shallow pinnacle, all the nutrients in that water column is being compressed it's basically being funneled into a very narrow band of water. So 
what that means is the baitfish don't have to dart around in 20 meters of water. They can just wait near the pinnacle and all the food from 20 meters is in, you know, however deep it is over the pinnacle, you know, six, seven meters. So it's a much better place for them to be feeding. And um, that's why baitfish will often be around the very high point um, of a pinnacle. So anyway, I looked for some of these spots and I, I really was struggling to find bait. And then I saw a cormorant just sitting on the water and obviously they feed on little fish so I, I stopped the boat and I just watched it and it did a dive and I thought bingo there's got to be bait there and I I slowly motored over and, and uh, tried not to scale it I wanted to be able to keep it in the area and, and basically follow the cormorant around um, but there was just one so you know, clearly it's not a bait ball, but as I got there, I saw a few little, um, just small, small bait, probably the length of your, um, of your baby finger, that sort of size, just scooting along the surface. And I thought, yep. And as I looked on the sounder, I saw, saw just a small, you know, glimmer on the sounder. I thought, that's it. I dropped the anchor there and I got out and this is the, it was the sort of leaf that if you were just looking for leaf, you, you would never bother stopping there because it's, it's basically come up gradually from, so the front side there was a ledge and it's come up from sort of 14, 15 meters. It's, the surface is probably seven or eight meters. And then on the, on the land side, so it sort of hasn't dropped all the way back down to 14 meters. It's sort of only dropped to about, you know, it's dropped from say seven or eight down to about 10. Just sort of glare it. And it's just flat rock covered in weed. Um, kelp and it just sort of gradually went down and then there was sand and quite a long sand edge and all the bait was hanging on the back side of the leaf now my experience has been that bait is normally on the front end of the leaf so this was kind of new and they they were on the side that where it was only about 10 meters deep and there was sand and so I just followed the bait around and interestingly especially when they're that small they know you're not hunting them um, but there were flying fish hunting this tiny little bait and they normally it's very seldom that I've ever had flying fish swim around me in the water they, they're actually quite wary um, and these these were just swimming around me and it was great I got to have a really good look at them and uh, you know sort of check out their anatomy and they were definitely hunting this bait um, and so I hang, hung around and then I actually, before I even found the bait school, so as I got in, there was nothing there, but I was swimming along the sand edge and a pink snapper, probably about two kgs, you know, the water was crystal clear and 10 meters deep. And this thing just followed me. And, you know, it's very unusual for a pink snapper to do that. It's the equivalent of, say, a dentex or, or if you're in South Africa, um, like a sa uh, santel or soldier bleem. You know, these are wary fish that don't normally follow you, but clearly it's in feeding mode and it knows there's bait here. It probably thinks, hey, maybe this is something that's going to catch some bait and some bits are going to break off and I can get them. So that's why I think it was following me. And it, it actually swam up off the bottom towards me to look at me and I thought, oh, this is brilliant. And, you know, I just enjoyed it. And you can see all the iridescent blue spots on its back um, in that clean water. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to just dive to the bottom. So firstly, I, I can't take it now. It's, it's in a closed season, but I could have dived on it from the top to get close. And I actually thought, oh, let me just see if I can. 
and see what sort, how close I can get. And then I thought, no, no, no. I know that for Pink Snapper, I need to be lying on the bottom. And so I waited and as it moved away a little bit. I, I did a very smooth dive down into the kelp and I lay there and I threw up some sand and I did all the things you normally do for Pink Snapper and it was not at all interested. And, you know, so at this point, I hadn't seen the big school of bait yet. So I, I was a bit confused. I was like, hang on, why this always, you know, this should work. And it's it's just not working for this Pink Snapper. Why not? And, you know, I was basically behaving like, say, a big stingray and, you know, lying on the bottom and crunching some some locks in my hand and throwing up sand sort of over my shoulder, um, you know, like how a stingray, they sort of crunch sand and then squirt it out um, their gills, which are kind of on the top. So that's sort of the same as a stingray. And, and you know, often you'll see a snapper hanging around stingrays. If, if you ever dive in a marine sanctuary, that's what they'll do. Um, to get free food, you know, anything the stingrays eat and that, you know, that gets uh, blasted through the gills, um, the snapper gets it. So, so that didn't make any, any difference. And I thought that's very strange. And I kept swimming and then I found the big school of bait and it was a big school. And, but there was, there was only the flying fish, um, feeding on the bait. And so I, I followed the school. And I dived next to it and then I dived to the bottom and there were, you know, there were plenty of bulge and gloper around that, you know, they weren't feeding on the school. They were just on that sort of very nondescript um, weedy bottom. So it's just, it's not what you would call good ground, but as a result, most people would never bother fishing there. But bulge and gloper, it's fine for them. They, they are quite happy being on just flat ground. So long as there's weed, um, they're happy. And, you know, the odd little spot on the end where they can escape and hide. Um, so in, anyway, when I found all the bait, then eventually um, a Samson fish came around, which is a big sort of amberjack type thing. But it interestingly, it, it came around, it was looking at the bait and it kept on going. And, not, you know, I stayed with the bait for probably 45 minutes and it it moved one way along um, and then it, as soon as it got over good broken ground, like the sort where you would want to, um, you know, actually start targeting good leaf fish, it, it changed direction and came back towards the sand edge of the leaf. And interestingly, it was on the inside of the leaf. So there, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, the, the water wasn't, it wasn't very rough. It was sort of more calm. On, it was the protected side of the leaf. Um so all of this was kind of a bit unusual, but the minute I saw all of this bait, that's when it clicked for me that the reason the pink snapper probably didn't respond to what it normally responds to is because it wasn't interested in eating something that, say, a stingray is chewed up. It was after bait. It knows there's bait fish. It wants bait fish. That's what's in its mind is hunting bait fish. So me going and lying on the bottom, that's not something hunting bait fish. So it, it just... You know, it just wasn't interested. If I'd done that at another time and another place, maybe it would have been. But in those, in that situation, it was not interested. So this is why I say there's, there's always something new to learn. Um, and okay, so, you know, all of this happened now. I've hung around the bait expecting eventually mackerel or something to show up and nothing did. And so now I have, you know, now I'm thinking, geez, okay, well, 
you know, I, I caught a small um, buff bream and then I went out to the 20 meter mark where I would normally burly for, um, you know, big pink snapper and, and would shoot mackerel there as well. And I, you know, I burlied there and there, there were clay pots on the ground. Um, so, you know, it, it was good ground on the bottom and nothing really came in. There was a huge school of buff bream swimming around. And there were a few small um, skipjack trevally, which, uh, look, maybe they were legal. I could have probably taken them. But, you know, I was really looking for a mackerel. The water was 22 degrees and there was absolutely nothing. Uh, a small Samson fish came around and that was it. Not even a small pinky came around. And, you know, by this point, the, the wind had uh, come up. So I, I had to sort of call it and, and come in. And then tonight or last night, I sat there and thought, well, shucks, I better come up with some better plans. Um, if I'm going to get something today, because it, you know, it was the similar sort of condition. So I, I thought, okay, well, what else can I target? And I thought, okay, well, King George Whiting. Okay, I know they're like sand patches, and uh, sort of flattish weed, and and you know that's where I've caught them. So I thought, okay, I'm going to dive more on the sand patches today, just where there's scraggly weed. And I did that most of the morning. Didn't see a single King George Whiting. Now the other thing you get on sand is flathead. And again, I was looking for flathead. Now, you don't often catch them here, or spear fishermen don't often catch them, but line fishermen do. So there's clearly flathead in the ocean here. I just, I don't know where to find them. And I don't know how to find them. I've occasionally just stumbled across them and I've caught one. Um, what I think the first good one that I ever caught here in Western Australia... I was diving in similar sort of ground to um, where I was today and a big school of dolphin came past and, you know, it was clean water and it was awesome and they, you know, I was sort of just over a bit of weed, sort of some rocks and there was a big sandy area and it just looked like it was empty sand and the dolphins came in front of me and they sort of did a donut over the sand and suddenly out of the sand, this flathead charged out. Obviously, it, it was scared that the dolphin were going to get it. So it, you know, I couldn't even see the thing hiding in the sand, but it, it came swimming and went under some of the rocks. And, you know, now the dolphins left and I thought, haha, now I know where he is. And I dived down and, and, um, as I got close, he was obviously pretty, uh, pretty worked up because as I got close, he took off again and I followed him again. And then I saw him swim over some leaf and I, I can't actually remember if I even got him in the end. I, I think I did, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm Anyway, it's the first good flathead that I've seen here. I think I did catch him in the end. It's, it's a, quite a few years ago. Um, but that was totally fluke, and I would never have seen it if it wasn't for the dolphins. So I guess all I really learned is that they are flathead there. I just, I'm not seeing them, and I don't know how to find them. Um, another good one that I saw, I had put, it actually wasn't that good. I, I don't think I, no, I didn't shoot this one. I had, was, um, experimenting with using ground burley. So I was making what they call a burley bomb, which is like a PVC pipe with lots of holes in it. And you'll put, say, um, sardines or, or something in there, squish them all in, and then put it down on a weight so it's right near the bottom. Um, I think this was actually bouncing on the bottom. And it was on some sand, just on the edge of some leaf. And I would, I was, had used the leaf and I was basically going to ambush over to look at this burley bomb. And what I was hoping is was that a big snapper would come in and start chewing on it and I could ambush it. Um, that's something you would do in New Zealand, something like that, except, you know, you wouldn't need to use a burly bomb. You would just break up some sea urchins. They're very uh, prolific there. So 
I did that, and there was just a small, you know, a, a sort of medium-sized flathead sitting right near the uh, the burley. So, you know, that's another time I've seen them. And then other times I've seen them were the only time I've sort of started seeing more of them was when I was did some night dives, and this is years ago when you could still dive in front of um, it's called uh, Coburn Sound. It's it's sort of a quite a shallow area of sea glass beds. And it's probably only, you know, three, four, five meters deep. And we would dive that at night with torches and collect something called blue swimmer crabs or blue manna crabs. And that was quite a fun little easy shore dive. And I was seeing flathead then. And, but that's kind of it. I, I can't really remember when else I've seen flathead. Um, so I suddenly realized, hang on, this is a fish I'm allowed to take and I have no idea how to catch it. And it's, you know, it's one of the things I can take now that's good eating and I don't know how to do it. So this is something that now I'm having to learn how and where to find these things. So what I'm doing is I'm going to fishing forums and I'm finding out, okay, where do guys get flathead? Now, it sounds like it's mostly in the river, but people also get them out of the river. And, you know, in in a recent uh, competition, um, one of the guys got a flathead and now, they, the other species that they caught was what they call a tailor or a bluefish or in South Africa, shad or elf. Now, I've only ever seen, I think, I've caught one of them in Australia, in uh, here, here in, in Perth, and it was just in very shallow water. It wasn't a very big one. And then I've seen two average-sized ones out sort of on deeper water before, and that's it. And so, I again, I don't really know how to get them. I, I mean, I know the theory, the the line fishermen say you go and you fish the white water uh, gutters in shallow um and so again last night i started researching this okay where do i need to go okay shallow sandy gutters near sort of breaking reef okay got it what time of day morning you know sort of dawn or dusk generally actually better the, the darker it is okay so now i know that um what type of tide okay generally and well in fact mostly an incoming tide or just after the turn of the tide as it's incoming so you know it's light sort of water temperature sort of 18 to sort of 22 24 um but you know there just isn't the visibility for that and i wasn't there early enough to do that but again that's another fish that i don't know how to target it yet and the one fish i thought i did know how to target king george whiting I do a complete blank today. Now, it's also made me realize that there are a lot fewer of them up here near two locks compared to if I went down and launched um, probably an hour south of here in a small area called Lockingham. Again, Coburn Sound. There's a lot more of them out there. And so again, it's made me realize, you know what? There's no point in me trying to hunt something where it isn't common enough to really put the effort in. I have shot King George Whiting in the area where I was diving today, but um, you know that's that's been a very you know rare occasion. So you know, so that didn't work. And then anyway, after all of that, I, I saw a friend that um, that now works for uh, for fisheries and had a chat to him, and you know said, look, my my plan today. So anyway, after I hadn't found King George Whiting, I spent a lot of time just looking for bait. And I kept on thinking, if I find bait, I'm going to become light. I'm going to find mackerel, um, yellowtail kingfish, basically pelagic fish that I can target. And I might get to see cool big 
pink snapper, which will be cool, even though I can't catch them now. And I looked and looked and I couldn't find any bait. And I scoured up and down many reefs, sounding on the boat. And I looked for birds. Wherever I saw birds, I went there and they weren't diving. They weren't even in the water. So there just wasn't any bait. And But when I spoke to my friend after my dive, he said that yesterday he went for a dive and he found a bait ball and he said he got in. He said it's the most incredible dive he's ever had in the Perth metro area. And he described it, and there was just absolutely everything on this dive, and you know, including giant pink snapper, you know, one meter pink snapper, you know, swimming within sort of arms reach, which you know it's almost unheard of, but just complete chaos underwater with all these different fish going and smashing the bait ball and kind of taking turns, and uh, you know, I mean, it sounds incredible. I and um, hopefully he's going to come on the podcast. I'd love to get the full story on this. And um, I'm sure he can describe it, do it much more justice than uh, my secondhand account. But it shows that, okay, my assumption that I needed to find bait was correct, but I didn't know how to find the bait. So it just goes to show, you know, and this, this is after years and years of doing this, and I thought about what I wanted to do last night. I tried to come up with a bit of a game plan, and I still do a blank. Um, so, I mean, this is the wonderful thing about spearfishing is that it doesn't... It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or what you've learned, there's always another level. And you you get pushed into a new level, like for instance with this fishing ban, now it's sort of forcing me to um to learn about new species that, that maybe I would never have tried to learn about. And it's like I'm a complete beginner again. I don't know where to find them. And I mean, I've done this long enough that that's now fuels my excitement to now think, okay, now it's part of the, the journey of how do I figure out this fish? And I spent years and years figuring out pink snapper through a very methodical sort of process to the point where, you, you know, I won't say I've got them dialed in, but I've got a reasonably good idea on how to maximize my chances for good-sized pink snapper. Um, and look, that is a whole other podcast Um I'm almost almost loath to share that because it's been uh, it's it's been ten years in the making and lots of secret squirrel missions and uh, look at some point I'm sure I will share it um, but anyway the the point of this was that it it just goes to show you always there's always another level in spearfishing and um, if anyone can give me advice on how to target Taylor and Flathead Taylor Flathead. King George Whiting, not just in Coburn, and um, Cobbler, and and say Flounder, Flatfish, I am all ears. I would love to have you on the podcast and um, pick your brains, and I'm sure everyone would benefit. Okay, that's that's it for me. Take care, everybody. Have a have a great day. Okay, bye.